0: zero
1: V E T is our local number. Come on in, join us. Uh, the, the gentleman just to clarify, I want to point the gentleman mentioned about the Yalu freezing over. If, if you stop and think about it, that reservoir, which is an incredibly big piece of water, it's it's, it's an enormous uh, body of water up there. It froze over hard enough that uh, our troops went back from Hagaru and picked up army units coming and off the east side of the reservoir and brought those people back. They drove jeeps and trailers and trucks out across the lake. on the ice and loaded those people up and brought them back.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, that part of the, the story is, is quite incredible. It's a whole other story in itself.
0: Well, we may, we may get a chance to get into it. We'll get into some other things here in just a few minutes. Hello, Rusty.
2: Uh, I was uh, just listening to you talking about this Korean deal. I was in a 91st Strat recon wing, and... Uh, our job was to go over there and photograph all these Chinese troops coming. And we estimated around 700,000 troops, five to 700,000 troops coming at uh, the uh, San Luigi area. Did you go back and tell MacArthur that? Yep, we took, we had a major general, our commander, and he was an Army guy from Washington, D.C. He was Truman's right-hand man. And, uh... We took all these photographs and uh, had our people read them, and we personally delivered them, us myself and and the rest of the crew, to MacArthur in Tokyo, and uh, he threw this major general out of his office and told him and his intelligence had no such reports, and we had all black and white, and uh, so I uh, knew that MacArthur was going to be fired then. And also during the uh, meeting at Midway, or Wake I guess it was, uh, we listened in on a conversation. We were an intelligence gathering uh, outfit, and we could uh, listen to their talking down there. And uh, MacArthur uh, denied everything, and Truman really cussed him out and told him his ass was fired. Use the language. And uh, so, I wrote my wife and told her, when this happened, that terminal was, I mean, out MacArthur would be soon leaving, and uh, sure enough, it was, but we also, we we were the type of an outfit that flew these black bombers, a, a B-29 that was converted, and we flew missions over Russia, China, you name it, and uh, we had all kind of gathering information, and and we'd fly, go up to 42,000 feet and take these photographs all over Russia. They didn't even bother to so challenge it. Right. And uh, we took pictures of the uh, troops sitting at in airstrips in, in Russia there ready to invade Tokyo. And this is the information we had, that they were, if we crossed the river into Manchuria, that uh, the Russians would invade Tokyo. Uh, uh, took uh, Japan and take it, and uh, we went over and took pictures and saw them sitting there, so firetroopers by the thousands, and airplanes by the hundreds, ready to drop them, and uh, that was the reason that we didn't go into Manchuria, that's the reason Truman knew this, thing. and he said, no way, or we're going to you know and cause
0: that to happen. All right. My friend, i got to get out of here for news. I appreciate you joining us.
2: Well, I thought I'd push, lay that information in on you. And I'm glad you did. MacArthur was a good man in his day, but uh, just like the man said, he, he gathered people around him that had been with him for years and did what he said. All right, my friend, I thank you for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: I've never heard anybody refer to Harry Truman as an Namby-Pamby politician too many times. <laughs> <laughs>
2: if he was alive,
1: they didn't get away with it. No.
0: <laughs> well,
2: I,
1: I agree with the gentleman. Uh, this, this hes He's got the nail right on the head there in, in all respects. I'm glad he didn't tell me there was all those Chinese men up there. he just scared me to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it would have been kind of nice to know it, looking <laughs> back. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Could have
0: moved to another hill or something. Right. 390-KVET is our local number. Come on in, join us. We'll take a short time out for news. 390-KVET. It's once again Emmett Shelton and Donald Childs are with us. Uh, retired members of the Marine Corps or just served you hitch and said, thank you, but no thank you?
3: Don oh. went back for seconds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, I served a little time during WW2. Uh, I uh-huh. was uh, seagoing in the Marine Corps. I served on board the aircraft carrier USS Cabot's CVL-28. Real proud of it. Real nice ship. Good old, good old ship. Good crew. Good captain, the whole thing. And then I got out, and uh, when Korea popped, I was hearing about Amish Bunch over there, and they were having a bad time, and a little radio over my bench kept crackling, and I said, man, I can't stand this. So I shipped in for another, another go, and... Worked out all right. Yeah, yeah made it through. Why do not you stay
3: in, Don? If it worked out all right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, things quieting down. You know, you know, <laughs> it's more fun to be in there when things are happening. I, I'm, well, not a, a I'm not a few years later, about fifty-five, fifty-six,
0: fifty-seven. By well, actually, about fifty-eight, I guess was the first time we sent some advisors into Nam.
1: Oh hell yeah! You could I, have stuck around for that. Well, I didn't know it was going to take place. Oh. See? <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. I want to tell you a little story. I put out a little newsletter for, our, for my company, and, and I uncovered one here about a month or so ago about this old boy. that He went over there with the brigade and, and, and stayed there from August until they rotated him back in about March. And then he found out they were going to rotate him back, and he said, I haven't paid back all these guys for what they've done to us yet. And he said, I can't kill gooks at home. He said, I want to stay over here. Well, they shipped him back to the States. This old boy was telling me the story. He said he was sitting on the side of the road about three months later, and he looked up, and he said to his friend there, he said, hey, that looks like Charlie Webb coming there. He walks just like him. He said, sure does. And he kept getting closer and closer. And before long, here was old Charlie Webb walked up and said, y'all need a good machine gunner? And old Charlie Webb was there. And so he said, well, what are you doing here? You're in the States. And he said, no. He said, but I'm in trouble. He said, I want AWOL to come back over here. Well, they took him to the captain. The captain didn't know what in the world to do with him. He wasn't a part of our outfit. So the captain called the major, and they contacted San Diego. And sure enough, five weeks before that, he'd gone AWOL. To come back to, to a war. Back. And they busted him, took a stripe away from him, fined him $50, and he was still there when this guy left. I believe I'd have put that boy in a rubber room.
0: I've never been a soldier, but I swear to God, if I ever were a soldier i don't believe i'd want to be in a foxhole with somebody who would go awol to get there
3: well this guy that told me the story also said that he to to make it where they get to his machine gun easier he put steps up the hill in front of it so they get up there and he can shoot them <laughs> that's
1: bizarre <laughs> that's a man that gets you killed uh there's believe it or not there's uh there's troops like that yep. there's, there's fellows that way i, I, I saw one fellow actually pound on the first sergeant's desk and scream at him to get into replacement draft to go over. Well... Any other time he'd have been in the brig for pounding on the first sergeant's desk, much less screaming at him, but... uh, Anyway, he, yeah, he got what he wanted. He got, he, he got in the next replacement draft going across, uh, going into Korea. Maybe the first sergeant was a whole
0: lot brighter than we give first sergeant's credit for being. I figured that was the easiest way to quiet him down. It
1: was. <laughs> he got just what he wanted, but he was a good man. He yeah. was a good man. You see, about uh, about that circumstance, there's been a lot of speculation that, uh, that uh, MacArthur wanted to continue the 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 war that is uh, in fact uh, even to uh, going against Mao in China, Communist China, and all that sort of thing, and there was speculation that uh, with the division and so forth, like the First Marine Division sitting up there as it was uh, more or less isolated, uh, strung out over 70 miles, this sort of thing. It's at uh, 30 below zero. Uh, that uh, if the Chinese annihilated the 1st Marine Division, this would certainly create enough stir worldwide that uh, it would justify giving Mark MacArthur a green light to do whatever he wanted to over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, whether it's true or not. I uh, don't know. know, We we don't know, but uh, we have heard that. and uh, Certainly, when you look at the circumstances, it it
3: would give some...
1: I give you that. Idea you know, that that's, that's possible. It, it's it's that's a it's, plausible theory. It is a, it is a possible situation.
3: I'd look at it from the other side too. The Chinese thought, well, if we annihilate the Marines and the Eighth Army over here, the Americans are going to do what they did in Vietnam. They're going to be disappointed with it. They're going to say, let's get out of there. Let those people have their land back and forget it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tweed, you got a question? Yeah. Uh, we all know how trustworthy the movie the movies are, and I suppose I suppose we've all seen Pork Chop Hill and all that sort of business. You say that the. Uh, that the Chinese army that y'all face was a good army uh, having had a lot of experience and all what about their tactics uh, the thing that comes to mind and obviously not being old enough to have been there you have visions of wave after human wave uh, that maybe they're not just real tactical about stuff but just to like a, a swarm of ants just to eventually take over what, how, how was it from, from your standpoint was it like that or, or were they really tactical in the way they went about it well, when when my experience with them was, everything was white, and they had suits that they could turn the white side out on them and become invisible at night, you know. They could crawl up on you. And the first time we'd know where they were there is when the grenades started popping in holes with us. But then after that, they would pull back. After we'd driven them off that first time, they'd pull back and blow their bugles and their whistles and everything, and here they'd come, and we'd annihilate them, and here'd come some more. By in the morning, they would be piled up in front of the machine guns and what have you, uh... Three, four, five deep. You'd, sometimes they had to move the machine gun. It got so bad they couldn't see around them. Uh, I imagine Don saw the same thing because they piled them up pretty good up there on Fox Hill. I know. <laughs> uh,
1: as far as a tactician and strategies and so forth, uh, you see, they they had all they had fought a, a different type of war in China against the Japanese and so forth. Uh, different different circumstances and and uh, and it took uh, a different tactics in. When they came in against uh, against us, I'll say the division, whatever, the army, the, all the folks up there, uh, the temperature, again, was, uh, was 20 to 30 below zero, continuous. Uh, we have winds up 20, 25, 30 miles an hour. You can figure out your chill factor if you want to. But... Uh, they had their problems, just like we had our problems. Your your hands would get so cold. You couldn't feel your trigger. And, and uh, I was gonna say, never
0: mind. They were born there. They're still cold to them too. Oh,
1: definitely. And uh, their troops uh, were uh, dressed in these quilted suits. Um, it's just like a kind of like we think about a ski suit now. Of course, it was just plain old cotton for them, both material and padding. And they wore tennis shoes, uh, as we know. I mean, I don't mean these jogging shoes. I mean, this plain old rubber and canvas tennis shoe type shoes is all they had on. And you can realize that if they stopped very long, they were froze up. So uh, they had their problems uh, and their tactics uh, just didn't match the situation. And if they had it, we would have never made it back. We'd have never made it out of there mm. because they had incredible numbers. The numbers were extremely important. They had incredible numbers. And they could just almost overwhelm any situation with just sheer numbers. And uh, they had times when they cut our uh, supply route, I'll say. They they completely took in and built roadblocks in between the, the strong points. And if they had have used their head they, and and used proper tactics, I'll say tactics that we would have custom to use, uh, we'd have never made it. Yeah. but they again did not take advantage of the of the situations ahead. and this, this allowed us to make it.